0: Welcome to ADHD Crash Course, the podcast for those of us who are always learning about ADHD, and that includes me. My name is Danae Cannon, and I'm your host. I'm an occupational therapist, a certified coach, a mom of more than one child with ADHD, and I have ADHD. So welcome to the podcast. We're in this together, and let's jump in. Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. Today, we have Ollie Maggi, and she is here today to talk to us about sex and ADHD. She's a sex therapist. She is a co-owner of co-intimacy relationship coaching. Is that right? Did I get it right? And she works with all kinds of different individuals, but she's here today specifically to talk about ADHD and intimacy, ADHD and sex, because as you know, ADHD impacts all of our lives. It's not just in the classroom. There's probably no place that ADHD doesn't show up. So welcome. Welcome, Ollie. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. So tell me a little bit about you a little bit how you got into this work. Yeah, just let us know a little about you. Mm-hmm. So um,
1: I know I've, I've told the story a bunch of times on like other podcasts, but I just always find it ironic that I originally went to school for engineering. And then that I realized it's funny. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I don't know if I'm like these other engineers. Maybe um, Not
0: You're very well rounded. <laughs>
1: And so I found, um, I found, I don't even remember how I stumbled upon sex therapy, but I stumbled upon it and I was like, this is what I meant to do. Like, I think having anyone talk to you about vulnerable topics makes, I just love being and I'm honored to be in that space with people, but when they can especially talk to you about what I consider some of the most vulnerable of vulnerable topics, that's when I'm just like, wow, like to hear something that someone hasn't told anyone in their family, or maybe it's the first time they're really admitting some of these things to themselves. I just, I think it's such a, such a special place to be. And in terms specifically of ADHD, the, um, the place I went to grad school, lo and behold, had like, uh, my mom taught me to be a bargain shopper and they had a two, two degrees for, for like one extra year deal. So I was like, obviously I need to also be a school psychologist (laughs) at the time. Did I know what that was? No. Um, but as a school psychologist, you're, you know, you're the one that does all the testing for special education. It has nothing to do with therapy at all. Um, and you just help different kiddos get, you know, services that they need. And one of the things that kids can, qualify for in special education is under something called other health impairment. And it's, if you have ADHD to the point that it's interfering with your ability to access the education at school. And it's a huge nowadays. I mean, I think dyslexia and ADHD are some of the most common referrals that we get for special ed. Mm -hmm. And so the more I got to work with kiddos with ADHD and as the universe works, my partner ended up having ADHD. (laughs) So I was like, wow, like this this stuff sticks with you. It's not just like not being able to focus in school. It shows up way later in life. And the amount of clients I work with now even just for anxiety or, you know, therapy that isn't sex therapy that realize in their forties or fifties, like, Whoa, I just got diagnosed with ADHD. And it makes so much sense now yeah. why, you know, like it's, it's impacted my relationships. It's gone in the way of certain jobs. And so when we, um, for our business, for co-intimacy and relationship coaching, we do weekend workshops. And so, It was my turn to kind of pick our our first one. And my brain obviously went to ADHD and sex.
0: (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yes, definitely. And it is. I mean, there are like everything. There's so many areas, even within sexuality, that ADHD can impact. I'm sure you've seen that in your practice and can't wait to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think first, it's always good to know, you know how does this even feel in a relationship or how can it just show up in a relationship whether that's inside or outside of the bedroom and a lot of people with ADHD will explain feelings that are similar to feeling overwhelmed because it can feel like it's hard to like keep your head above water right mm-hmm. just in in many aspects of life it feels like you're kind of treading and these other people are swimming and you're like i'm so confused like who taught you how to swim cuz mm-hmm. i'm just i'm just trying to tread water here Um, You can feel different. Obviously, your brain works entirely differently. Um, Subordinate, which is sad, but true. You know, there's an incompetence. There's men can feel emasculated from just this struggle that it feels like you might be going through alone, especially when people don't know that they have ADHD and you're being diagnosed later in life. So all you've seen around the world is, well, it seems easy for you to do this. Seems easy for you to pay attention or focus or stay on task or get that done. And I need to take 500 breaks and then I'm, so right. I don't so When understand. you say
0: subordinate, are you kind of talking about that parent-child dynamic that can creep in when one person is like the responsible one or the reliable one? Is that what you're yeah. referring to or? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, I'm going to get a little more into that too, yeah. but yeah, it's
1: like people can feel less than. And that's, you know, or just, yeah, like they're the, oh, okay. Like I'm got it. Like I'm the one being told I'm the one being pointed fingers at. I need to be, I need to listen. I need to do better.
0: Right. right. And
1: so I know those feelings can be just so prevalent. Shame. Shame is a huge one that can exist. Just like underlying all these other, all these other emotions, feeling unloved or unwanted. Like you should be the one that that should change. You know, I shouldn't be like this. I, right. I should be better. And just, and longing, longing to be accepted, longing to want to be like other people. Um, And again, this isn't everyone's story. I think some people see all the positives that come with their ADHD. They're probably so much more creative. You know, there's, there's other parts of their brain that are on, they, they learn things differently, but once they get it, they can probably retain it and apply it way differently and to a much larger extent than other people.
0: And so
1: it's but I think this is, this can be very true of especially children kind of navigating this journey and adults that are still kind of coping with and learning to accept that, but they have ADHD.
0: Definitely. I mean, you can see that in relationships where there's a kind of a, there can be unintentionally a story about ADHD and the ADHD partner and this kind of where things become about them, any conflict becomes about them or any place where there's friction, like default ends up being sometimes, oh, the ADHD factor, which of course impacts things, but it's not always the whole story.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that's such a true experience too, right? You know, it's like I get couples where someone maybe has ADHD and like every issue is because of the ADHD. Yes. And yes. it's like, well, there can still be some accountability there. right? Like, so <laughs> it's it's definitely like one of the components. Sure. But it's hard when you don't really know to what extent. Like like what is my ADHD versus versus what isn't.
0: Right. It's true and that can be a long journey, figuring that out on your own in a relationship, more complicated, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And so I have, I have some kind of general tips for the non ADHD partner for the ADHD partner, but just kind of general tips again, in relationship in general for the non ADHD partner, there's sometimes these verbal attacks or it can feel like nagging and it just, it doesn't get us anywhere. Right. Like, more that you kind of engage in that style of communication, it's just going to create barriers between you and your partner and make them feel more of some of these feelings that we talked about above that, that subordinate feeling, the, the feeling of, of being unwanted. Mm-hmm. And so that's just not, that's never going to get us anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what,
0: got- um, for somebody like a partner, the non ADHD partner that mm-hmm. is really frustrated, um, and they kind of are slipping back into that pattern of just the finger pointing or whatever, the accusing, like what's better, what's more helpful. What can they incorporate that kind of prevents that?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like this goes for a lot of just different types of communication in general. And even something we practice a lot as therapists is whenever you hear someone's story, you're just like around the world, you're looking at someone do something and you're like, what on earth is wrong with this person? Like, what? Right. Is- with you. It's the way to reframe that is like, what happened to you? Mm. Because people normally don't, don't want to act abnormal, quote unquote, that would deem or, or, or cause attention or be whatever that is. And so if you tend to have that feeling inside, like what the heck, like what's wrong with you? There's normally something driving that. And so I think best to come at it from like, okay, like what this partner, what your ADHD partner is doing, like you said, is probably pretty obnoxious. Or you know, you know you're valid in being like, oh my gosh, we're having this conversation again. But rather right. than attacking, you're a team. So it can right. be. Hey, you know, I, I know that I'm feeling a little frustrated right now. I know this is a problem we've faced in the past. What's something we can do together to help you remember next time? Right. Or you know, is there a way I can support you so that we can better approach this? the next time this the situation comes up, the next time we're in the same context.
0: Right, that kind of curious approach versus, curious versus having the answers, right? Like you might not have the answers yet, but approaching mm-hmm. your partner that way is productive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's important, like you had said, people with ADHD are navigating how to do this on their own. Like they're already just navigating, like, how do I handle this? Oh so when you're in a relationship, it's, it's probably likely a, they don't even know how to handle it. And now you have another person involved. So now you yeah. need to learn how to handle it, but it is a team. It is a team effort and it affects mm-hmm. both partners. It's not just like this ADHD partner against the world. ADHD is affecting the entire dynamic that is your relationship. And so if that's something, if it affects the relationship, it takes two people to come to solutions and two people to kind of navigate that together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Another one I have for, for the non ADHD partner is encouraging progress when you see it or acknowledging achievements, you know, rather than just nitpicking what it can feel like when you have ADHD or just whenever you're, you know, from anyone, it's hard when you're at work and you're constantly being told when you aren't doing things right. right. And it feels a little different when someone reminds you like, Hey, like you did that great this time, or Hey, like, Normally I notice you don't remember those kinds of things and, and you did today. And that was awesome. And so take the little wins where they are and, and celebrate them because yeah. they're not that little.
0: And it does it encourages intimacy, like just celebrating with someone, affirming someone. It does encourage you to be closer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's why I feel like I like to start with just some of these like general feelings and general tips because- when a lot of people, I think, do come to us for for sex coaching or for sex therapy, you know, it's they're I think like, let's first, get to the mechanics, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> their first shock is like, where it, they're like, wait a minute, like this just feels like therapy. Like, <laughs> tell me how to have like longer orgasms. And I'm like, like, I want oh.
0: a diagram. <laughs> I want bullet points. Yeah.
1: I'm like, oh, you might be very discouraged to know what sex therapy is then, my friend, because it, it takes place mostly out of the bedroom. That makes it's sense. What's happening in the bedroom is a domino effect of like all these other life stressors and context and how you're talking to yourself and your partner. Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I forget who says it, it might be Esther Perel, I love her, wow. is that um, sex is, or foreplay is the last time you had sex to the next time you have sex. Uh-huh. It's not like the 20 or 15 minutes before.
0: Absolutely. And I like that you said how you're talking to yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: is a huge factor for people with ADHD is how we're talking to ourselves. So what what other thoughts do you have on that one? Because I know that that's got to impact all mm-hmm. the things.
1: Mm-hmm. And so again, I think it comes with when your partner is going to acknowledge your achievements. You know, that's a time for you to say, hey, like I did do this. Like it's okay to give yourself a pat on the back. It's okay to get frustrated when you've done something 10 times and then move on. And mm-hmm. then try, try next time. You know, it's it's harping on these things, creating that internal dialogue of like, I'm not enough, I won't be loved. Obviously, that's a, a dual that's something that can be addressed by both partners and and with having both partners respect and talk to each other in a certain way. But I think it's a lot about reframing, reframing what it means to have ADHD understanding one thing. I think I talked about this on the phone too, Danae is it surprises me so much that I get adult clients that maybe come in knowing they have ADHD. They've been diagnosed since they were seven and we're talking about it. I love processing disorder. And they're like, what? And I'm like, your ADHD. It's, It's a processing disorder. And they have no idea that there's like actual brain mechanics and how your, your brain encodes, decodes information mm. that is directly linked to, to <sighs> having ADHD. It's not just this like imaginary thing. No one can see like it's actually.
0: A, yeah. It's been kind of been framed that way, been understood as a behavioral disorder, which is not accurate, obviously. Right. And so I think people operate under that misinformation or misimpression, whatever, that this is something you can white knuckle right, and just do better.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's part of what I find so fascinating having both these roles, like as a therapist and as a school psychologist and learning both at the same time. I remember being so confused because I just you have our our DSM that talks you through how to diagnose ADHD. And then as a school psychologist, you run actual tests that will look at a a kid's processing speed. It'll look at, you'll you'll have different areas of like, oh, like these areas are pretty high and these areas are pretty low. And that makes perfect sense. And so there's a lot more measurement behind it. So when I would get people that have been diagnosed by a therapist or a doctor, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's so interesting because school psychologists have to take hours and hours to look at Your your history growing up, everything every teacher's ever said about you, you know, run actual diagnostics, and so taking that and equating it to how a therapist or a medical doctor can just give you a diagnosis, I found super interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It like we could go on a whole different rabbit hole with that (laughs) one, right? Because it is like, and it it becomes a big frustration, I think, for adults to get a big picture, to get the picture that you're giving, right? Like people, ideally you have that picture, that developmental picture, and mm-hmm. you don't often get as deep of a look when you're being diagnosed as an adult. Sometimes, sometimes you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And then um, two more I have for the non-ADHD partner here mm-hmm. are to, to focus on their intentions. And so a lot of the times I know we hear um, like intentions aren't an impact and there, there is a difference or intent versus impact. But I think especially with partners who have ADHD, it's important to look at their intentions because a lot of the times they don't realize or I think there is a lot. I mean, the reality is the the executive functioning isn't there maybe like other people's executive functioning is. Mm -hmm. And so they might not have the same skills, again, the same speed of those skills to be able to do things the exact way that you'd like to see or that you were hoping to see from a partner. And so I think sometimes looking at the intent behind their actions or behind what they were trying to do can help a non ADHD partner more easily accept and kind of digest like, okay, like, you know, it's all right, we can be more patient with this.
0: Right, right. And you do that. I mean, you do that, hopefully with effort versus outcome all the time, because effort you can impact right and so intentions effort those are things that you do influence where you don't always have Mm -hmm. you don't always have total control over the outcome right and so that is that makes sense across the board to just celebrate that part that we do have more control over Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and then and then not to parent your partner oh gosh just like you (laughs) would point it out and and girl this comes up a lot (laughs) yeah Yep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No one wants to have sex with their dad. It's really like, seriously, this is a big, this comes up a lot. This is a big issue in relationship dynamics. I know I see it in my work. I'm sure you see a lot of it in your work.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And just because someone's acting a certain way, or again, I think it's, we have these perceived, we go into relationships with perceived notions of what we expect from another person. Mm -hmm. And the reality is you brought that in that's not what anyone told you was going to happen. That's what you assumed. And so now you have someone acting in a way that the only thing maybe you can compare it to is a child. There is someone that like, oh, they just need to try harder. They just need to learn this. And that doesn't give you permission to act like their parent. They don't need a parent. Like they're still a full functioning adult They just maybe aren't responding to certain situations or, you know, they don't have the same executive functioning skills as you do, or as you expected all adults to have, but that doesn't mean you have to parent.
0: And I like that you said the expectations that you bring, because I think whether or not we're aware of it, you grew up in a home with dynamics, right? And so you carry that expectation of what that looks like often without being cognizant of it. It just it goes with you and really looking at what am I bringing? What expectations am I bringing to the table here? And do they even fit us?
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then for, you know, for the partner with ADHD, I think it's important to acknowledge that your ADHD symptoms likely are interfering here. It's not just your partner being unreasonable. And again, that's with you can do that within boundaries. You don't need to shame yourself. There doesn't need to be like all these underlying, really deep, just like awful self-talk involved. But the reality is like ADHD is real and your brain works differently. And I think a huge part of this process is accepting that, accepting Absolutely. that your relationship's going to look different, how you learn, how you function is going to look different and sex is going to look different.
0: Right. Right. That's reasonable. I mean, it wouldn't, there's not really an area that in life I can see that ADHD doesn't, doesn't impact for at least some Mm -hmm. people. Right. So it makes sense.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. And another one is, you know, if, if strong emotions derail conversations, because that's a really common symptom with ADHD Mm -hmm. is just the, the lack of, of emotional control at times, especially when you're under stress or in like high anxiety environments, you know, like if that, if those strong emotions really do derail conversations, Acknowledge these things ahead of time with your partner. If you know that that exists in your relationship and, and, and have a plan. So be prepared for things like timeouts. It's perfectly okay to say, Hey, I need some space. But I think where a lot of people go wrong is they say, I need space or they just storm out and there's no talk of when you're going to come back. Yes. so So you have to say, you know, Hey, decide with your partner when you're in a very low stress environment and everything's going smooth, you know, there's no stressors. Hey, maybe next time we have one of those conversations and I do kind of explode and, or, you know, I, I really get overwhelmed with my emotions. I'm I'm going to excuse myself for five, 10, 15, whatever you think minutes. And then, but then I'll, I'll meet you back in whatever room you're in, or there's okay. a set plan of
0: when you come back. So what I'm hearing you say then is like the person that needs to remove themselves is probably also gonna be the person that's responsible for re-engaging. Women. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: think that tends to work well I think like everything sometimes it's both partners maybe might go to a separate space and then meet in a in a different location so it's like both of them are coming back Um, but I for sure normally advise that when these conversations are had I always encourage the partner with ADHD when they feel comfortable enough to kind of initiate the conversation because it can feel attacking right to have someone else say hey you blow up in conversation sometimes. So you're going to need to step out for 10 Right, back. right.
0: <laughs> just like putting time out, right? Like going back to that whole parental dynamic, not, not cool. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. So it's more just having the awareness. And again, like, it's okay. Like everyone, everyone freaks out. Everyone has, has moments where you're like, oh, I could have handled that better. Like oh, I yeah. just needed to deescalate for a hot second before we had that conversation. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think once you accept that you get there, sometimes just have a plan for yeah. success in the future.
0: Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. Removing yourself. That's definitely one mm-hmm. I've learned. <laughs> oh gosh. And then um, another one too is
1: is find ways to spoil your partner because feeling more cared for could could help with feeling less like a parent too. And so these could just be really little things. Like I think sometimes people, if someone's, love languages gifts, we think it's like, oh, like, of course, like they just want all these things and all these shoes. And, and it's not always like that. You know, sometimes if you find a, a flower out and about and you're like, oh, I know they love this color and you and you bring it back for them. Like, that's just a little kind gesture. If you know that your partner wakes up every morning and and makes their coffee and you're kind of already up, you're like, well, maybe I can make their coffee for them. Yeah. So that keeps intimacy alive. And that definitely also, I think, kills that parent-child dynamic too. And it, and it helps you reconnect and just be more intimate with each other far before any sex is happening. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned love languages and I don't remember where I learned the whole concept about this, where they kind of had the different love languages and discovered at some point really early on that mine was more like being affirmed and words of affirmations. And my husband's is like acts of service. So we could be like quote unquote, spoiling each other, for eternity and not receiving it. Right. Like, which we did, which was kind of, I mean, he could care less about my words of affirmation. Like it's just not how he rolls. And I wouldn't notice if he removed a tree. I actually did not yeah. notice him moving over a tree <laughs> at one point. So like knowing that we received those things differently, like really helped me be able to catch it. Oh, this is him making a really kind gesture towards me that I totally have not seen and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you touch on such an important factor, Danae, which is we tend to give love in the way that we want to receive it. And so like, I know mine's quality time. And so I would think like, oh, I'm just going to invite this person to do all these things or like, oh, I'll just go over and and we can, we can hang out while you do that. And if someone's love language is not quality time, they're going to be like, okay, it seems like an (laughs) inconvenience for you on a Tuesday, but like, sounds good. So we are naturally inclined (laughs) to give love the way that we hope to receive it. And so once you know the other persons, you're like, oh, this might not make a whole lot of sense to me, but like, yeah, I guess I'll go pick that thing up for you. I guess that'll mean a lot.
0: So yeah, absolutely. And I for somebody who's for me, like somewhat inattentive, missing those things that are so obvious and glaring to the other person, like just more communication on that was very helpful for us. Oh, Mm -hmm being able to notice and see and recognize, oh, that's what that was. Mm -hmm. Personally, it could easily go missed for the other person too. Yeah. And I think that's a great one. I think that's a perfect example
1: of, I don't even think that's your ADHD and being inattentive. People aren't going to know what you want if you don't communicate it. You can be the Mm -hmm. most attentive type A observational human, and you still won't know your partner's love language unless they tell you, or unless, you know, there's some way in which they're like outwardly, kind of expressing to you, like, this is how I like to accept love. That's and true. so that's one where I think people with ADHD may have the assumption like, oh, like, of course I should have known. And it's like, oh gosh, no, don't worry. Like we see couples all the time, but ADHD <laughs> isn't anywhere around. and yeah. always- <laughs> <You're on it." laughs> That's, that is true. That is. And then I want to get into some some research because I like everything backed by research. I think that's my school psychologist brain for sure is in my mind. If these things are, are, are shown or there's patterns, I wanna know how and why and, and the studies that found them. And so I, there is this one study by Ari Tuckman. He's a PsyD mm-hmm. um, and his research showed that ADHD is more likely to elicit um, masturbation behaviors more often than people without ADHD. They might desire sex more often, watch more porn, have more hookups or kind of be more into that like hookup culture scene than people without ADHD. Desire more consensual non-monogamous activities outside of a marriage and maybe desire larger repertoire for sexual activities. And these are Mm -hmm. findings that I've seen and heard time and time again as well. So there's, I think there's just that there's an exploratory, a curiosity that isn't. And again, that's not to say if any of these things apply to you that you, you know, you have ADHD for sure. No, but, but it tracks, right? Like if you're somebody
0: who's looking for intensity, novelty, which is very mm-hmm. much ADHD nervous system is mm-hmm. some of that kind of helps kick things into gear. So that makes some sense.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 And even in, um, there's a psychiatry journal. There was oh, so many authors, but like Hertz, Turner, Barra, maybe Barra. Mm -hmm. Uh, they showed that the increased emotional dysregulation and kind of the impulsivity that can come with ADHD, that can lead to more hypersexual behaviors, more sexual dysfunctions. What I found interesting is even just outside of this study, over a third of men diagnosed with ADHD and over 40% of women with ADHD reported some form of sexual dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just so important to know that like you're not alone. And this isn't just like, oh, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I do this? Um, With that, there can be hyposexuality, which is actually a loss of desire. So it's kind of funny. There can be both ends of the spectrum here because you might have a fluctuating libido that just isn't quite as regular as someone else's libido some researchers have even suggested like recommending a screening for sexual disorders as a part of diagnosing someone with ADHD. Ah, yeah. And so I thought that was like, that just goes to show, I think how prevalent this is within the ADHD profile.
0: Absolutely. So, I'd be really curious to see like also in terms of just lifespan, yeah. do you see a lot more of the impulsivity and the hypersexuality in one phase of life versus the hypersexuality, mm-hmm. you know, under the umbrella of ADHD in a different phase. Cause I, I definitely see both that a lot of times with ADHD, the way our brains are working, the activity, like some people are just tired across the board that fatigue impacts sexuality and interest in sex and sex drive. I'm sure.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And some like sexual risk taking as well. So there's, there can be lots of different ways that it shows up in the bedroom. There's also a decreased satisfaction with sex that they've mm. shown is again linked to ADHD. They don't know whether it's like one causes the other or what, you know, how they're related, but it's just been pretty prevalent that if you have ADHD, the chances are that if you this could be highly associated with a lack of satisfaction with sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and they think a part of it could be that there's there's an increased fear of intimacy and there's like an insecurity and a depression that can even come from some of those feelings of like chronic underachievement that a lot of people with ADHD carry. Right. You know, and and then ADHD too, you can, uh, we kind of, there's a trio in just kind of general psychology and how I've learned it from all my supervisors ADHD, anxiety, and depression are all like this little triage that people yeah. come to you and they're like, I have all three. And <laughs> normally one is leading the show, but it's hard yeah. to tell which because there's it's a lot so
0: hard. Yeah. It's so hard to tell. And it's that's, I know it's got to be really hard as a diagnostician because unsupported ADHD can show up that way. It can exist together. It's just the way it is that those are. Well, triplets.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes are there, you know, like maybe there are some, there's some comorbidity, but other times there, you know, maybe, you know, what else affects sex, anxiety and depression. And so it's, I I don't think people assume, you know, that wandering thoughts, it's like, oh, I noticed that in the bedroom. And, And I'm sure you do. And like, that does affect your sex life and that'll come up. But I think there's lots of other ways in which some of those just like, anxious thoughts or, or some of the depressive symptomology probably affect your sex life and your libido too, that not everyone thinks of automatically when they think of ADHD.
0: Right. Yeah, that, that does. I mean, that does make a lot of sense because those are often, often friends that accompany ADHD in some level and would impact how you feel about yourself, how you feel about intimacy, vulnerability, all of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of wrap up here that I have, and it might sound a little general, but it's, or just like, oh, listen to this whole thing for that. But, um, more (laughs) management of your ADHD shows that people end up feeling more comfortable and they report having more fulfilling sex lives and having more sex. And I think that kind of, as we were talking about in the beginning, Danae, that relates to making sure it doesn't feel like you're a parent to your partner having the communication skills and the supports in place for each other, navigating just general day-to-day ways that ADHD shows up. All those things are going to have a domino effect that will, that you will see in the bedroom and it will, and it will make your, your sex life more prevalent and better.
0: Right. That, I mean, that does, that does make sense. I know that this comes up a lot, like just prioritizing the time together, intimacy together, and just, shifting from one thing to another thing. And do you have any thoughts about, I mean, I know there's no one size fits all on how to approach Mm -hmm. it, but how to prioritize it in addition to better connection.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so first of all, I think there's kind of four main senior medical doctor Mm -hmm. being on medication, potentially, if that's the right path for you, Mm -hmm. therapy, just around your general, you know, if you really notice ADHD affecting different parts of your life, that's another great support and just building executive functioning skills. Mm -hmm. You know, all of those things I think are, are very foundational Mm -hmm. in how you can start to address this. And kind of with the executive functioning skill building again, whether you have ADHD or not, I think most people are inclined to think that you shouldn't have to schedule sex, and when the spontaneity of sex kind of dissolves as you, you know, are in a longer relationship or the longer you've been married, I notice people's disillusionment with that. Right. And, it's, and to me, it's it's no shock at all. And so right. I just don't think people are prepared to have to schedule these things. Like, it does
0: feel like a not doesn't really uh, fit with the romantic image we have. But yet I think with ADHD, we really have the experience a lot of times of just our lives running us and having some more intention about something that matters. Like,
1: and what I think that the, um, I think there's a people believe that, oh, if it's on the calendar, like that takes the lust out of it, that takes the, the fun and the, but actually, if you know, when you're going to have sex, then you can adequately plan like a large amount of foreplay. Like you can work up to that. If you know, it's going to be right after work on Friday, because you guys have scheduled it in, you can send flirty texts to each other while you're at work. You can, if you're going to get home a little earlier, you're like, okay, I can like prep the house a little bit, or like I can put something else on. I can, I can like dim the lights and lights and candles. You can actually create more of a scene because of planning it, which is also incredibly beneficial if you have, kids, you know, like making time to have sex when you have a family, it's it's, planning ends up being a part of it. And I think we can, there are ways to shift your mindset about how that, that doesn't have to be a buzzkill.
0: Right. Okay. I like that. I was thinking about about planning a trip and how I get really excited about planning. I mean, it's just very, I'm kind of dorky that way. It's like, oh, I just like so much joy goes into that anticipation and preparing things in that way. And so I don't know think about it as planning a journey, a journey. I to love go. that. Well, in some couples too, it's
1: like that's when they have maybe more sex than they would than when they're at home or there's already an expectation that like that's going to happen on this trip. So in a right. sense, you have an idea of what it means to schedule sex. Right. I just think when people word it a certain way or when you write it on your calendar, it, it like sits differently. For with- sure.
0: <laughs> I think so. It. Does, I mean, you got admit, it's like it almost seems a little laughable, but I do know that- um, you know, transitions in general with ADHD can be tricky. And if you do have in the back of your mind, this is a priority, this is happening today. I think it can help you, you know, how hyper-focus can show up and no matter what you're doing, it can be hard to pull away
1: Mm -hmm. for something
0: else. And so being available in that way Mm -hmm. is proactive.
1: Yeah. And again, that, I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword because some people that'll then increase the anxiety around it. And it's like, Oh "Oh, no, what if, like, what if I'm not in the mood or like, sometimes Mm -hmm. I get really dry. What if it like, what if he can't get hard? Mm -hmm. And and I think it's important to work up to it or schedule it, but in terms of you have scheduled intimacy time. Mm -hmm. And so if that leads to intercourse, great. Maybe, maybe we're just going to stick to oral today. Maybe we started doing massages Mm -hmm. and we're like, can we just make this like a one hour massage sesh? Cause this is fantastic. Oh, that sounds amazing. It doesn't have to lead to anything. There never has to be like a a be all end all sex and orgasm, or I would say intercourse and orgasm has to happen.
0: That's kind of a big shift. It seems like a big shift.
1: Mm -hmm. It is, it is. But what's, what's interesting is, um, when you get couples that let's say they're having or people that are having trouble climaxing, mm-hmm. they become so obsessed with it. And the first thing you do in your practice is you take it off the table. Because oh. you're like, okay, we're not we're not having intercourse or like we're not oh. going to try to climax. And it confuses people and makes them very frustrated because it's like, what do sure. you mean? Like, that's why I'm here. And it's actually the pressure you're putting on yourself is is negating what you're trying to accomplish and so how you actually have more sex is by not worrying about it leading to sex
0: I swear everything in ADHD ends up being about mindfulness like you always go (laughs) you always go back to being in the moment enjoying the moment noticing the moment I feel like all roads seem to lead back to mindfulness and just, I mean, I don't know if that's where, if that's how you see it, but to me, it just sounds like, yep, mindfulness again. Oh yeah. No, Danae,
1: I, um, when we talked about this, um, when you, you know, contacted me to talk about like this kind of topic, I'm so excited. But part of it is because co-intimacy and relationship coaching is having a workshop on ADHD and sex. Oh, good. October 8th, We are hosting a workshop, 1130 PST AM. And we are going to get into more of like the very nitty gritty. Like if these things are happening to you during intercourse, literally in the bedroom, these are specific ways that you can can attack it. And I think having a lot of this background knowledge is so important Mm because a lot of it doesn't happen in the bedroom. But yeah, mindfulness is up there. So we have lots of ways to like specifically hone in and use certain mindfulness exercises. Cause I think a lot of people can mistake mindfulness as like meditating, which they think is like 20 minutes of needing to sit under a tree and think of absolutely nothing.
0: So true. (laughs) And that's
1: why we're set up for failure. (laughs) Yeah. So
0: <laughs> Yes, it's really true. Like people have, get the heebie-jeebies when you talk about mindfulness. It's like, no, nope, no, nope, I'm not going to do. That. That's not my thing. And it's really can be really different. Um. So tell me more. So you're having this? It's a it's a course. It's a workshop. What is it going to be? It's
1: so it's going to be a one and a half hour workshop where you, you will get to sit with two sexologists and we will discuss. ADHD and sex and Mm -hmm. so it's going to be an open forum it could be for individuals or couples and we're really going to go through the nitty-gritty of different experiences that happen in the bedroom that are common with ADHD and like directly how to address them Uh, and anyone who comes where we love just open conversation so if people specifically are like hey you did not touch on this I feel like this is 100% related to my ADHD and I have no idea what to do you have us at your disposal for an hour and a half and we are we're there to answer your questions and give you skills and tools that you can bring with you and hopefully utilize for many sessions to come.
0: Very, very cool. So and that leads me into my next question. Is that I'm sure people want to reach you, ask you questions, work with you. How can they do that? How can they get hold of you?
1: So we're on Instagram. I my Instagram handle is Ollie underscore sex therapy. And then we have an Instagram for our company, Co Intimacy Coaching. And that's just C O intimacy coaching. And so you can DM us. We have a website, co You can also um, join our newsletter through there. You can sign up for the workshop directly through, you know, our website, or you can DM us if you have any more questions. Um, and we can talk to you that
0: way too. Perfect. And don't worry, guys, I'll have all the links in the show notes. Don't expect you to remember all of it, but I will have a link so you can easily reach Ollie if you have questions or want to learn more about what she's doing. So thank you so much, Ollie. I appreciate, I appreciate your perspective, your expertise and joining us today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Janae. This was awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today and see you next week.